0: Shorter message than usual today, I've been trying to keep these messages a little shorter because the kids are in here during this time, and parents, we don't know when we'll be able to open back up the the Sunday school yet, we're kind of waiting on that, and um, so as soon as we get the green light for that, we'll let you know. So I'm still sending out the the daily, or the weekly uh, Bible lessons for Sunday school for the kids, and uh, you can uh, find those in your email. But today, as you look over into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I just want to read um, part of the, the text for us here in a bit, but um, first four verses of chapter 11. But, you know, today's Father's Day, and uh, we just want to welcome any of the dads that are here today, those watching. I was reminded this past week of a little boy who was um, asked to explain the difference between um, Father's Day and Mother's Day, and... Um, He said, well, basically, it's the same as Mother's Day, but you spend a lot less. (laughs) That may or may not be true. I don't know. Uh, Mothers, you'll have to verify that. But, you know, sometimes we're not as sentimental about Father's Day because maybe um, fathers just aren't as sensitive, as sentimental to the children's needs or alert to their sentiment as mothers are. And i um, heard of the mother who was just had her newborn baby, her and her husband, and she just got home from the hospital. And uh, when she got home from the hospital, um, she needed some rest. And so the father said, you know, I, I'll take care of the baby, put it in the nursery. We got this new crib and everything. And So they laid the baby down. The mother went and was able to lay down. And uh, after she woke up, after a few moments, <laughs> um, she kind of wandered out of her bedroom and went down the hallway. And she was peering into the nursery. And there she saw her husband just standing over his newborn baby, just staring at the baby. And the mother was so moved by this, you know, she thought, well, I don't want to disturb him. So she kind of snuck up behind him and she put his, her arms around her husband. And she said, honey, what are you thinking? What are you thinking about right now? He says, well, dear, you know, I just can't understand how they're able to make a crib like this for (laughs) $89.95. Now, that's a funny story, but sometimes, dads, you know that's where we go. Uh, Sometimes fathers are not the most sensitive or the most sentimental of folks and whether you're here today and you've had a good relationship with your dad or a bad relationship you know that's the weird thing about mother's day and father's day when you try to preach a mother's day or a father's day message usually you hear it from one side of the other because if it's a positive message then you have someone inadvertently come up to you after well you know my relationship with my father was horrible well, how can you say that i should reach out to him or mother's same thing you know what i'm talking about But it is Father's Day, and I just want to remind you that it was on June 19th, 1924, by proclamation of President uh, Calvin Coolidge, that Father's Day came into existence. It all came about from the efforts of Sonora Smart Dodd. And uh, Sonora was sitting in church one day in 1909, and it was on Mother's Day, and she was listening to a Mother's Day sermon. And it just popped into her head, why don't we have a Father's Day? (laughs) Why do we just have a Mother's Day? And she was raised by her father because her mother had passed away at a young age, um, and so she was raised mostly by her father. and, And Sonora wanted her dad to know how special he was to her for all the sacrifices and for being, in her eyes, so courageous and selfless and giving and loving all those years. And through her efforts, President Coolidge designated the third Sunday of June as Father's Day, and our nation has been celebrating it ever since. And and Father's Day gives us the the chance to honor those who uh, stand at the helm and lead as a father and uh, it, it, they lead their family sometimes through battles, through life's battles. And uh, James Dobson, in his book, Dare to Discipline, suggested three things for a father to keep in mind. And this is just all introduction, but three things. The first thing was, he said, keep in mind the early years, the early years, the time with mom. Um, years bring change, and fathers often becomes an example, an attitude, an action that a a child follows. And God, church, spiritual things, all those things, um, fathers are followed. And and this is not something that we can just turn over to a mother to handle. This is really a, a father's role. And so he said, remember the early years. But then secondly, he said, the best thing a father can do for their children is to love their mother to love their mother. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so husbands should love your wives. And so we're commanded to do that. And then thirdly, James Dobson pointed out, a Christian father will arrange time to spend with his children. And he goes on in that chapter to say, good fathers are made, not born. No one's born to be a good father. You have to learn that. It's a skill you learn. And so today's Father's Day, and Dad's, I just want to ask you the question, what kind of difference are you making in your home? Um, could it be that instead of proclaiming God's truth and, and pointing to the stones of <clears throat> remembrance that God has been faithful to you over all your lives, that maybe you've gotten off the track and now you're, you're pointing your children to athletics and academics and entertainment? There's nothing wrong with that. But that should pale in comparison to the time you spend pointing your children's heart to the Lord. Uh, Leaving a legacy means that you're passing on something of value, something of worth. And while academics and athletics and entertainment, all those things are enjoyable, Um, don't ever forget to leave our children with the most important realities of this life and the next. And so to be that father, to be that role model, to be that example of a father that you can pattern yourself after, you've got to ask the question, well, who do we we look to? Maybe it's not your earthly father. Maybe he wasn't a good example to you. So where do you find this example of such a thing as a perfect father if there is one? Um, Someone once said, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect. Practice (laughs) makes perfect. And if you stop and think about that, that is so true. And so we want to learn today what we can see from God's word about being a father. And we want to learn it from the example of God himself, the perfect father. And we see in scripture, and this brings us back to our passage as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The first part of chapter 11, it speaks of Paul being an example He says there in verses 1 to 3, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. Verse 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Father, we ask that you would help us to discern your word today. Lord, I know this isn't necessarily an expositional message today. It's more of a topical message. But, Father, I pray that we would gain insight into um, what it means to be a father that is a godly example. Father, we pray for those who may be gathered here today who no longer have their fathers here on this earth. We pray that you would have them look to you as their heavenly father. And Father, we pray for those who still have parents and and fathers that are physically here on earth, and I pray that whether it's a good relationship or a bad relationship, Lord, I pray today that they would find it within their heart, the grace to reach out, or maybe even just to thank you for the heritage and the input that their father had in their life. Father, none of us were born by accident we were born into the family that you desired us to be born into. We didn't have a choice. We couldn't pick our own father. But, Father, you've given us the privilege to look to you now as our heavenly father. And so I pray that if there's anyone here today who's yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ, that we would come before you, a holy God, with humble hearts, recognizing our own sinfulness, and trust you for the provision that you've made through Christ And, Lord, if there's people here today hurting because it is Father's Day, I pray that you'd provide healing for their hearts, that you'd give them understanding, that you would help them to be gracious, even in the midst of turmoil. Lord, your word says that your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you and we trust you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, like I said, where do you look for a perfect father? Um, As we just read, Paul viewed himself, right, as an example to the believers in Corinth. And if one thing a father is, is he's an example. Uh, He encouraged them to imitate himself. Now, that wasn't just, hey, follow me, a blind, you know, blind leader, just follow me blindly. He's not saying that. He says, follow me as what? As he imitated Christ. So it lays down a pattern, And we think many times of fathers, and a lot of times when people preach messages on fatherhood, what do they preach on? They preach on leadership. You know, you're the head of the the wife, you're the head of the marriage, you're the head of the home, you're, you know, the boss at work, whatever. And, you know, that kind of appeals to a man's maybe testosterone, you know, leadership, you want to be in charge kind of a thing. But I really believe that God, before he desires us to be leaders as men, he desires us to be followers he desires us to be followers. And that's really what Paul is pointing out here. Um, I mean, we are instructed to be leaders in our marriage in our work at home and such. But Paul's admonition here to the Corinthian believers, and by the way, it wasn't just to the men, it was everybody, but by application, we can apply it to the men today that they also be followers, followers of Christ. And this isn't the only place that Paul talked about this. You might remember when we were going through 1 Corinthians chapter 4, back in verses 14 to 21. If you want to turn there, just let me read this passage for you because he talks about being an example here, but he also kind of brings up the idea of, of, of fathers as well. He says, I do not write these things, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 4, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. You remember, he just went through kind of a a list of issues that they were having in the Corinthian church, okay? And he said, look, I'm not writing to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, look at what he says, you do not have many fathers, (laughs) You do not have many fathers, for I became your father, and in the spiritual sense he's obviously talking, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so he's saying because of that relationship that he has with them, this, this spiritual fatherhood, verse 16, he says, I urge you then, what? Be imitators of me. There it is again. Be imitators of me. And he goes on, verse 17, he goes, that's why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Verse 18, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Kind of like the cats away, the mice will play, you know. Hey, dad's not here. I mean, how many times did you try that when you were growing up? Wait till your father gets home. It says, as though I were not coming to you, verse 19, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out, not the talk of these uh, arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Verse 21, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? (laughs) With a heart of discipline? That's what he's saying. Or, what's he say, with love in a gentle spirit. See, Paul is pointing out that with fatherhood, even spiritual fatherhood, comes certain responsibilities. You can't just say, oh, I'm a father, and then check out of your responsibilities. That's why he says, you know what, it's not these arrogant people who have all these words. He goes, I'm not interested in their words. What are you you interested in? I'm, I'm interested in your deeds. I'm interested in what are you doing? See, it's easy to, you know, after you have children to allow mom just to do everything with the kids, raise the kids, whatever. But, you know, when you're at the dinner party or whatever, oh, look at my boy. Look at, you know. I mean, we, it's just how we do things sometimes, man. And we need not do that. We need to be participants in that. We don't need to be just talking about it, but we need to pe- show people And see, in verse 21, he's showing us there that fathers have a certain responsibility not just to praise their kids endlessly. I see that all the time with parents. That's not good. That's not a good father. You know, a father knows when the child needs some discipline. Maybe he needs a little spiritual encouragement to the seat of his pants. I don't know. However you apply discipline in the home, but I've been in situations where I've seen parents tell their kids five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Sit down, stop, 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 stop. The kid doesn't, just doesn't behave. And what happens? Absolutely nothing. There's no consequences. See, that's not the role of a father. The role of a father is also to, you know what? Bring the rod when you need to bring the rod, right? When you need to discipline. And you don't do it out of anger. You don't do it out of frustration. You do it out of love because you know that's what your child needs. But he also says they're with a spirit of gentleness. You know, some of you may have recalled growing up in homes where maybe your dad wasn't all that gentle. Maybe your dad was an angry man and took it out on the kids. I don't know. I didn't hardly know my dad. My dad, my mother died when I was three. My dad died when I was seven. So I didn't, I didn't know them very well. Um, the only thing I remember about my dad is he's sitting in this blue chair in front of the fireplace in the living room. Chair's still upstairs in the house, actually. But sitting there and he's reading the paper. I was still in diapers. But I remember sitting on his lap as he read the paper. That's pretty much. The only memory I have, and then after he had a stroke, you know, I remember um, going upstairs and uh, bringing him bowls of grape nuts in the morning. My sister-in-law would make him a bowl of grape nuts. And I'd go up halfway upstairs, and I'd sit on the landing and take like three, three, I don't know why, I'd, just because dad liked it and had some sugar in it, maybe had some fruit or something. But I, they were so crunchy, you know. And I remember when I'd bring him up the bowl, it was like, will you eat my grape nuts? And, oh, oh. <laughs> you know. And, and, and that's pretty much it. you know. Uh, and, and, and some people are graced to have their fathers with them pretty much their entire life. What a blessing that is. In other words, others are blessed to have their fathers with them, but their father's not a very gentle or, or loving person. And so it creates chaos. But see, all fathers are some sort of examples. If you're a father here today, or you had a father, um, there's some kind of example involved. Just like as Christians, we're some sort of example to people. Um, You may be a godly example of Christ, as Paul was, and he encouraged others to live a righteous life as he followed Christ. Or you may be a fleshly example of sinfulness and unrighteousness to those you're being an example of, but you are an example. And so let's look at our heavenly father and just a, a couple of quick points here to describe his example of fatherhood. What is the perfect father? Um, and this isn't just for fathers, ladies. This is for any believer, okay? Because we want to emulate God. We want to emulate Christ. We want to emulate our, our heavenly father. And so these can apply to all believers. But there's, there's, four of them here. God loves his children. God encourages his children. God disciplines his children. And then it looks at our responsibility. And so let's look at the first point here. God loves his children. And like I said, this isn't necessarily taken out of the text that we just read. It's more of a topical sermon. So next week, if those of you who are wondering about the hats in um, Chapter 11, we're going to get there. The head coverings and all that stuff, we're going to go through that. I think the week before I said, Oh, yeah, the spiritual gifts are coming, verse 12. And somebody says, Are you skipping chapter 11? And I think just in my mind, it's a very difficult chapter. Um, So I, I kind of jumped to the spiritual gifts. But we're going through chapter 11, so we'll make our way through that. But today we're going to just kind of look at these different points. So the first one there is God loves his children. And you say, Well, I know that. But sometimes it's good to be reminded. Of certain spiritual truths so that we don't take them for granted. First John chapter four, verse 19 tells us, John tells us because um, we love, why? Because what? He first loved us. That's why we love God. We don't love God on our own. We love God because he loves his children. He loved us First. Or in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, I love this verse, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet still, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. I mean, just think of that for a second. The fact that Christianity is a faith that teaches, you know what? You can't clean yourself up enough to earn the grace of God. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself for God to love you. Absolutely nothing. What if you went and fed all the the homeless? That's a wonderful thing. That's not going to earn you any credit in God's eyes. You could be a wonderful husband. You could be a wonderful father. You could be raising your kids just with incredible respect, you know what? If you're missing the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, then you don't know what it means that God demonstrates his own love for us. And that's really the essence of the gospel. The fact that before we loved him, he loved us. Before we could do anything for him, he did something for us. He loved us, and loved us first. He didn't wait for us to meet his expectations as many earthly fathers do, right? He didn't wait for us to make him proud as a father. He didn't wait until we measured up to his standards or what does the word say? It says he loved us first. His love was complete. He loved us completely. He loved us constantly. It never stopped. Not only that, but He loves us consistently. You know, if there's one thing, I think sometimes as dads, we're inconsistent, right? We're just inconsistent with the way we love, with the way we discipline, with even sometimes the way we work. But not our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is consistent. And the capstone of his love is that his love is unconditional. It's unconditional. It's complete, it's constant, it's consistent, it's unconditional. He doesn't say, you know what? I'll love you if. The Bible even says in Ephesians that God set his love on you, on me, when? Before the world even began. Before there even was a you. God chose to love you. You say, well, how can that be? Well, you have to stop and think about who God is. God is an eternal being. He's God. He's not restricted to time. There's no yesterday with God. There's no tomorrow with God. God transcends time. So to think about it, that God set his love upon you before you were even a glimmer in your mother's eye or your dad's eye. Now, it may anger our Heavenly Father when we disobey. The Bible speaks of that. It may sadden Him when we stray off away from His will. But see, the good thing is, he never stops loving us. I'm sure we all know fathers or children who have fathers who no longer have a relationship. They probably haven't spoken to their their father or their son in years, and they have no desire to. The love has stopped. Somewhere along the trail. And I'm not saying unjustly. Maybe there was a lot of wrong done. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is God is not that way. God does not ever, ever stop loving us. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 8, look over there. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. Paul writes, you want to talk about the love of God. He says, now in all these things, in what things, Paul? And all these things I'm going through, everything that he had to deal with, it wasn't pleasant, as he writes there in in verse uh, um, 33. He says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? was, Was Paul's life filled with tribulation? You bet it was. Was it filled with distress? Was it filled with persecution? Was it filled with famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Yes, 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 yes. He says, well, what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says, as it is written, verse 36, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's not a good selling point for the gospel, right? (laughs) Hey, you want to come to Jesus? You want to become a sheep to be slaughtered? What a blessing that will be. Verse 37. Leading up to verse 38, he says, Now in all these things we are more than what? Conquerors. Because of who we are, no. He says conquerors through him, look at it, who, what? Loved us. Loved us. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, Nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, our Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, the older you get, the more you realize, wow, I don't have like an eternity left. (laughs) You don't. As you look at your life and you realize, wow, you know, probably... If you're past the age of 40, you've lived over half your life. Law of averages. If your age is 60, you might have five years left. You might have 10 years left. You might have 20 years left. Trust God, I don't have 40 or 50 years left. That wouldn't be fun. And don't get me wrong, we all die on time, amen? Amen. I mean, God has an appointed time for us to die. We, We can't change that. There's nothing we can do. But at the same time, it's good to know that God's love does not stop when we die. Beloved, it just begins. When we are thrust from this life filled with sin and despair and everything that's going on around us, I mean, is it crazy or what out there? It is insane. Not even talking about the politics of it. It's just bizarre, completely bizarre. And I just pray that those who need to come to Christ will come to Christ, so we can punch out of here. I mean, that's the only reason we're still here. Do you understand that? There's some that, are, that haven't come to Christ that are that are part of the elect, that are part of those God has chosen before the foundation of the world. The Bible says. And God is being patient. And by the way, it's a very selfish thing to say, I want the Lord to come back today. Now, if you want to go be with the Lord, that's a different story. But you know, when you stop and say, I want the Lord to come back today, what are you doing? You're putting your needs above maybe those lost people who haven't come to Christ yet. Now, they will, because God will not lose any of those who are called to be his. But I'm just saying, practically, we need to think about, sometimes, won't well, won't. The words we say, I get it. It gets frustrating down here. It gets old. You know, I think a lot of people right now are really irritated with those in authority over us as far as government goes. You see hypocrisy at every level. I talked to a gentleman the other day. I was filling up my propane tanks. And I said, Well, how's it going? You know, ah, it's, it's all right. Kind of busy. You know, I said, What do you got, what do you got scheduled for Father's Day? Nothing. Where are you going to go? You know, you got to go out. how are you going to eat with a mask on? How are you going to, you know, so he just starts on his thing. And I thought, okay, a little more conservative than I thought. And uh, I said, yeah, I said, you know, I, I get it. Um, you know, it's interesting that uh, he goes, you know, they don't think about the people that own the small businesses who've gone without for months. How are they, how are they supposed to survive? I said, yeah, I agree with you. I said, as a matter of fact, I think the politicians should have adopted this when they stopped showing up for work for their two months or whatever it was. You know what? We're not going to get paid either. That would have been the right thing to do, would it not? Instead of imposing all these rules and regulations on everybody else, and they, they still live in the lap of luxury. Um, and he wholeheartedly agreed with me. I don't know where his politics was, but think I got a friend. Um, But see, it's important to realize that God loves us. Someone wrote this little article. This is a story, but it says, "When when the Lord was creating fathers, he started with a tall frame. And an angel standing nearby said, what kind of father is that? I mean, if you're going to make children so close to the ground, why have you put fathers so up high? He won't be able to shoot marbles without kneeling down. He won't be able to tuck that child into bed without stooping over. Well, God smiled and he said, yes, but if I make him child size, who will the children have to look up to? And when God made the father's hands, they were large. And the angel shook his head and said, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know why you would put hands on that being like that. Large hands are so clumsy. They can't manage little diaper pins or small buttons or rubber bands to put in ponytails. Or even able to remove splinters from those small little hands caused by baseball bats. God smiled again and said, I know, but they're large enough to hold everything a small boy empties from his pockets at the end of the day, (laughs) yet small enough to cup a child's face in his hands. And then God molded long, slim legs and broad shoulders, and the angel had a heart attack. (laughs) Boy, this... Must be the end of the week. How's he going to pull a child close to him without that kid falling between his legs? God smiled and said, a mother needs a lap, but a father needs strong shoulders to to pull a sled, to balance a boy on a bicycle, or hold a sleepy head on the way home from the circus. See, God was in the middle of creating two of the largest feet anyone had ever seen when the angel couldn't contain himself any longer. That's not fair. Do you honestly think that those large boats are going to get out of bed early in the morning when the baby cries? Or walk through a small birthday party without crushing at least three little kids under, under his feet? Again, God smiled and he said, they'll work, you'll see. They'll be able to scare off the mice at the summer cabin or leave footprints that will be a challenge to follow. Will God work throughout the night, giving the Father a few words but a firm voice and eyes that saw everything? Amen, dads? We, we usually don't miss a lot when it comes to stuff like that. Finally, almost as an afterthought, the story says he added tears. Then he turned to the angel and said, Now, are you satisfied that he can love as much as a mother? And the angel was silent. See, God, our Heavenly Father, loves us, His children, incredibly. That's the example that we have to look at. But God also, secondly, encourages His children God encourages his children. God is quick to encourage his children. That should be a, a, an example for us to follow fathers. There was a doctor who was very successful in his career, and he told the story of when he was growing up. And in school, he failed a math test. He was in elementary school. And the teacher wrote a note on it and sent him home. And it said, your son just can't handle math. That's what it said on the test. His dad sat him down, told him, well, son, I guess you just don't have aptitude for math. That's okay. I didn't either. Don't worry about it. Guess what happened from that day on? Little Johnny flunked every math test. He said, I I could never do anything in math. And then one day in high school, the teacher put up a problem on the blackboard and asked the class to solve it. Nobody could figure out the answer. And in his story, he says, I looked at the problem and suddenly realized that I knew the answer. It just made sense. So I held up my hand, and everybody looked at me and laughed because <laughs> they knew I wasn't any good in math. But I walked up to the blackboard I worked out the problem, and the answer was right, much to my own amazement. Then I realized that it wasn't my lack of aptitude at all. It was that everybody I'd ever known told me that I couldn't do math. And because I believed them, I never tried. See, remember, God encouraged people like Moses at the burning bush when he told them that he was going to deliver the nation of Israel. He encouraged people like Joshua, as Joshua set out to conquer the promised land. He encouraged them with words like this in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? What? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, God was able as a heavenly father to see things in his children that they could do. And so he encouraged them to go out and do them. Fathers, that's a good role model for us. Sadly, many parents are prone to send messages laced with criticism than with encouragement. My brother tells me that my own father was very critical. My brother is very good in sports, Paul, and he, he would go to a Little League and little league game and pitch a no-hitter and hit three home runs. And on the way home, he said my father would look at him and say, you know, you should have you had that last home run. Just always something more. Now, I get it. It probably meant it's motivation, whatever. But it came across as, wow, I just can't do enough. Luckily, I was too small. I didn't get any of that stuff, you know. So, but it's so important to watch what we say. And that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. And trust me, your children have needs that it may benefit those who listen. So God loves us. He encourages us as his children. Thirdly, he also disciplines us. He disciplines us. We don't like to hear that, but he does. Um, I thought of the McCafferty's with their twins. I heard this story about three young boys. They they were identical twins, these three young boys. And they got along really, really well. And uh, you you just couldn't tell the difference between them. And so one of the neighbors asked the father, he, he said... How would you know who to punish, you know, when there's trouble? Because, you know, they could just blame each other for it. He goes, it's easy. I just tell all three of them to go to bed without their supper. And then the next morning, I look for the one with the black eye, and he's the one that gets the spanking. (laughs) And I thought, wow, I wonder if Tom's thought of that. You know, it's so important for us to realize that, that God disciplines his children. See, God is good. He's a loving Heavenly Father, yet He disciplines His children. He doesn't discipline in spite of His goodness. The Bible says He disciplines us because of His goodness, because He cares for us, because He loves us. He doesn't discipline in spite of His love, but because of His love. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5 says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. We should be thankful that God cares enough to discipline us. Or Proverbs 3.12, the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So God is good. He disciplines his children, but the father who disciplines his children wisely is reflecting the character of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 says, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for good for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Amen. But painful. I guess it depends on the form of discipline. I think today and age we live in today, discipline has kind of fallen by the wayside, but it used to be a day when you got disciplined. It was painful. And that's what the Bible indicates. I mean, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of the deal, you know, heard of that saying before. Um, But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness, verse 11 says, and peace for those who have been trained by it. So many times as a youth pastor, I used to talk to parents and their their kids would just be out of control. And I'd say, you have to apply discipline in order for peace to happen. It's not just going to happen. And some, some did, and it was a wonderful story. Others would try and they'd give up at the first time the kid threw a temper tantrum. Wow, we can't do that. Because they didn't understand the role of discipline and what that plays in a child's life. You know, parents, if you're not disciplining your children, you're not fulfilling God's role for you to be a godly parent to them. And, you know, you have to do it prayerfully, you do it lovingly, but children need I would say they even crave discipline. Well, the last thing here is not only does God love us, um, God encourages us, he disciplines us, but what's our responsibility to this, fathers? I think it's our responsibility to bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's what the Bible indicates. Our, Our teaching should begin with children when they're at a young age. So many times when the children are younger, well, that's mom's job. I'll deal with it when he can throw a ball. or That's, that's the wrong way to go. Um, Psalm 78, verses 1 to 4 says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers, wow, have told us. There's a responsibility there. So verse 4, it says, We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. See, that's the role a father plays in the home, to declare the mighty deeds and works of God. Or in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 19, this is very clear. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules. That the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it. Verse 2 that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. In other words, it's a generational responsibility by keeping all his statutes and his commands, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them, here it is, diligently to your children. That means it takes some effort. It's so funny with this COVID thing, I hear a lot of parents complaining about homeschooling their children. It's just so much easier when the school did it. Drive me nuts. You know, it's not easy to teach your children it's not. It takes diligence. And that's what he says in verse 7. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, it's part of your life. It's woven to who you are as a, as a man of God. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's he saying? He's saying, wherever your eyes look, you should envision the word of God. and, And these principles you should be willing to teach to your children. And by implication, maybe you're not a father here today. You should be teaching these things to other people. You should be discipling someone as believers. The Bible instructs us to teach our children as we sit down, as we stand up, as we walk along, as we lie down, as we pass on from generation to generation what the instructions that God has entrusted to us. That's what we're called to do as believers. We're not called just to come to church and and eat a feast of truth and then just let it rot in our gut. That creates fat, immature Christians spiritually speaking. We don't want to be that. Now, you can teach your children in the right way, (laughs) or guess what? You can teach your children in the wrong way, Dad. A lot of us have probably maybe received teaching in our lives that we would say we benefited greatly from. And sometimes we can say, yeah, we received teaching, but I didn't benefit anything from it. It was a miserable experience. It was just like noise. Closing, I read this little parable of the three fathers. Three fathers who each felt the soft hand of his own child in his own hand. And he realized, without anybody even telling him, the responsibility of teaching his child about God. Three stories. First dad, one felt the awesome responsibility that was his. So he taught the child about the power and the might of God. As they walked down the pathway of life and came to tall trees in the forest, he pointed to them and he said, God made them. And God can cause them to come crashing down anytime he wants to. Because God is powerful. As they walked in the hot sun, he said, this is God's son. He made it, and he can cause it to be so hot, so intense, that the plants in the field will just literally die and wither. Again and again, this father hammered home the power of God and how the child must be obedient to God. Remember, this is a parable, right? One day they came face to face with God. And the child hid behind his father. Afraid even to look. Refusing to put his hand into the hand of God. His heart was filled with fear and terror. That was the first father. The second father also realized his responsibility to teach his child about God. Hurriedly, he, he tried to teach all the important lessons he knew about God. As they looked at the tree, trees there, they stopped only but a moment to gaze at him. As they looked at the flowers of the field, they hurried past him. He told stories, but they were hurried and they were just crammed together. He filled the child full of facts. But he never taught his child how to live or how to love God. Finally, one day as twilight came, they came face to face with God But the child only gave God a casual glance and then turned away. Well, the third father felt the touch of a tender hand in his and adjusted his steps to the tiny steps of his child. They walked along and stopping to look at all of God's beauty and grandeur, they walked into the fields and they picked the flowers. They studied them. They felt the delicate petals and smelled their fragrances. They glanced up into the sky and saw the birds in flight. They looked at another perched on a limb building its nest on the limb of a tree laying her eggs and sitting on them until they hatched. They watched all the beauties of nature while the father told his child stories about God over and over and over again. And finally one day came, twilight, and they saw the face of God. And without hesitation, that child placed his hand trustingly into the hand of his heavenly father. See, we need to be reminded that our heavenly father is a perfect father. I guarantee your father wasn't perfect. And if you're a father here today, you are not a perfect father. And your children will not be perfect fathers because no such thing exists. But it's about relationship. It's about understanding who your father is. There was a young man who was arrested standing before the judge who knew his dad very well because his dad was an expert in the area of law. His work on the law of trust was the most exhaustive work that anybody had ever written. And the judge sternly asked this young man who was standing before him, do you remember your father? That father whom you have disgraced whom you have brought shame upon. The boy looked at the judge and he said, I remember him perfectly. As a matter of fact, when I went to him for advice or companionship, he would look up from his work, his book on the law of trust and say, run away, boy, I am busy. My father finished his book and here I am before you. See, that great lawyer had neglected his own trust with the awful results of his child ending up the way he did. See, John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 tell us these words. John wrote this, but to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, what does God do? He gave the right to become children of God. See, it's a right to be a child of God. And it has to be given to us by God himself. Verse 13 says, Who were born not of, the, of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of whose will? Of God the Father's. See, just as physical children, the birth of a new spiritual child is God's work. We wholeheartedly adhere to that. We believe in that. And we must look for him to do it. But just like a father and a son, we're called to respond. All who receive him, all who believe in his name, those whom he gave the right, to become the children of God. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that Paul was able to be an example, even an example of the father to his spiritual children. And Lord, I don't know what's in the hearts of your people here today or who may be listening, but Lord, you do. And Father, whether their relationship with their earthly father was good or indifferent, bad, horrible, maybe it was a real blessing, I don't know. But Lord, I pray that each of us today would find it within ourselves, within our own heart, that we would ask you for the grace, the understanding. And first of all, thank you for allowing us to be born. Thank you that there's a purpose to our lives. Thank you that we're not just robots here on this earth. Thank you that you have given us a volition, that you have given us desires. And and Lord, we pray that you would steer those desires to make those desires honor you. And Father, it has to start with the simple fact of acknowledging you as our creator, God, acknowledging you as the sole provision for our salvation, acknowledging Christ as the one and only sacrifice that was given for us. Lord, as a perfect father, you know what's best for us. You desire us to come to you, to believe in your name, to profess your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our Lord. You desire us to set aside all other passions and desires for the sake of pursuing Christ, In Christ alone, as a perfect father, that's what you desire from us. Lord, we can't do that on our own. We need your assistance. We need your divine enablement. Lord, if there's anyone here today who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would lift the scales from their eyes, that they could see the glorious truth that's set before them. That they, too, can affirm who Christ is. That they, too, can follow in his steps, willing to forsake all others for the sake of becoming your child. It's simple, yet it's complex. Father, in the New Testament, there was an individual who just cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The man on the cross simply said, hey, remember me today when you get to paradise praying and affirming who Christ is doesn't have to be a complicated process it could be it doesn't have to be we just need to affirm the truth that you have given us and Lord as believers I pray that we'll be faithful to continue to reach out to those who are in turmoil um, who don't know you Father that we will not compromise the gospel, but share the gospel boldly so that their hearts may turn from their sin to the Savior. Lord, we thank you that you are, Father, the perfect Father, and that we can look to you and we desire to emulate what you are to us. That's righteous, that's good. Father, help us not to come up with our own formula for fatherhood, but, Lord, to be faithful to what you've called us to do. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Let's close with one last song.